0: Uh, good to have you, and it is the Sports Animals. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu. This is 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Thank you so much for allowing us in here on your Wednesday. Uh, all of our guests, when they appear, they do so courtesy of our hotline. Uh, coming up a little bit later on, uh, we continue to unpack the uh, the news that took us all by shock uh, yesterday, and that was the news of uh, the passing of Vin Scully uh, what we learned more uh, after we left you from the show last night and, uh, you know, a, a little more of maybe a, a, a fitting look back at Vin uh, and, and not in a, well, uh, in, in a rushed kind of setting where we've got to get out by a certain time and we don't have, you know, the time constraints as much to, uh, you know, allow us to think back on Vin just a little bit more. And, and we'll do that coming up. Uh, just after the bottom of the hour here on the program. You can text us. Our Zephyr Insurance text line is at 808-296-1420. You can call us at 808-296-1420, and uh, you can tweet the show uh, at Sports Animals, and you can get me at Josh on the radio. Uh, the big headline, well, there's there's two. Uh, the continued remembrances, uh, the passing of Vince Scully. I mean, I've seen it on uh, on, on news networks and then sports networks all day today. Uh, that is That has been a, a big story that everybody continues to talk about. And then the other one is uh, the NFL deciding it is going to appeal the ruling from Judge uh, Suel Robinson on the six-game suspension Of current Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson Uh, not only uh, you know not not only is it just that the appeal is the story but it's who the appeal goes to and the appeal well goes to the NFL because there are several stories that there are there are micro stories within the story which we'll explain in in just a second first ESPN's Adam Schefter as he broke that news on NFL Live earlier today on ESPN television, and why the NFL, outside of the obvious, why the NFL wants this process to happen so they could get an indefinite suspension.
1: This could be the start of a very long, legal, drawn-out process, but Deshaun Watson is not going to play at the start of the season. His six-game suspension stands. The NFL is looking to add on to it, and add on to it by a lot, I would imagine, because the league wanted an indefinite suspension with Deshaun Watson having to apply for reinstatement. The NFL had until 9 a.m. on Thursday to make a decision about whether or not to appeal the justice's decision, considering that it would undermine her in her very first decision. And that is exactly what the league decided. It decided to take a stand against the judge's decision to stand up for what it believes is right. And the judge wrote that the NFL proved that Deshaun Watson was guilty of sexual assault, that he posed a threat to the women around him, and that he compromised the integrity of the National Football League. And six games is not enough in the NFL eyes.
0: Now, there's a, a, a couple of things to unpack from that, and that was Adam Schefter, ESPN NFL Insider, earlier today on NFL Live. One of the more notable things, and, and he didn't say it in that bite, is, um, the the NFL, or at least Schefter from his camp, I think knowing what the NFL knows and, and also what the NFL, I think is, is out to try to prove, uh, it's, it's not just simply about, we think there needs to be more games added that we make this an indefinite suspension because the NFL, I think the NFL clearly knows what it wants and it's, it's, it has been shy about that. They've been putting it out publicly ever ever since before Sue L. Robinson heard uh, heard this case. But they I think also want to force Deshaun Watson into a situation where you know Deshaun Watson's true I don't mean true colors isn't the right word, um but his true feelings. I said this the other day – I think it was on Monday on Twitter, and and I had a few of you come back and say, well – and I guess let me me go back to what I said on Twitter. I said um, it was about several hours after the announcement of Deshaun Watson's uh, suspension, and I had said at the time, there's one thing that we're very much missing, and that one thing is an apology. Deshaun Watson has not said anything. And and I know some of you have come back and and you've said, well, what do you expect him to say? Or uh, Deshaun can't say anything. He's got a civil case still going on. And obviously now you've got the appeal here from the NFL that's in place too. I I, I get it. There are a lot of things at play. Um, but Deshaun Watson had, in the past, he had said very clearly, he didn't feel like he did anything wrong. That he was innocent. He was there, there was no wrongdoing on his part. And if you read all the paperwork, you would see that in their investigation, in their findings, they found, well, maybe not violent, they found wrongdoing. Um, they found some, frankly, pretty creepy stuff from him and a pattern of uh of misconduct that even in Sueel Robinson's words were um were not good not good wasn't her words uh you know I'm, I'm paraphrasing it I think it's important here for the NFL to get Deshaun Watson to actually say something and I think it might act, and and I said at the time you know him not saying something is a pretty bad look especially with the fact that you know everything that's in this uh, in this ruling makes it look like he is very much not uh, you know very much not innocent and not someone who is being accused of something that he's not done. Look at all the cases that have been settled, not just by Deshaun Watson but by his former team, the Houston Texans. So I think this is kind of calculated. All right, Deshaun Watson hasn't said anything, and this is a six-game suspension, then you know what? Um, He's going to have to at some point. And how is that going to have to come out? That is the next part of this equation. Because the next part of this is the NFL appeals to the NFL, which it sounds... uh, Fairly redundant, and it also sounds fairly ridiculous. This is the CBA. The NFL and the NFL Players Association agreed to this part of the CBA, and it is where we are. Um, The NFL is going to decide, is Roger Goodell going to rule on this? Because he can. Roger Goodell could smack this right in the face of the Players Association and everything that they have wanted. They could just say, you know what? We, uh, Raj knows what he wants based on some of these findings. He is going to rule the suspension on his own or the NFL can take the high road and say, we'll give this to someone else. We'll find our own independent person who will come, or maybe not such an independent person. We'll find someone else. We'll take Raj out of it and we'll find someone else to, to give their decision on what it should be. And we'll let them make the final call. And in the CBA, as mutually agreed upon, once that happens, that's it. It's done. And while I hear all of the rumblings about, well, if if, if Watson doesn't like it, this could go to federal court uh, and, and drag this on even longer, federal court is a stall tactic. It's a stall tactic to try to get a stay on it to allow Deshaun Watson to play. And because you figure it's going to take a long time for it to happen, it's almost like Deshaun Watson suspension's not going to happen, um, not until well later. So you know, put it in court even if you think you don't really have a chance. At the very least, you're thinking uh, he'll play. Hasn't played in over a year. We'll get him on the field, no matter how we have to get him on the field. That's what we're going to do. But those are the the avenues remaining. And I think this is the one time where the NFL is going to put its own – i am not like it hasn't before, but I think it's going to put its own reputation here at risk because this could very easily be one of those areas where the NFL says, you know what, we don't want this to continue to be a story, so we're just going to back away from it. We don't like the findings, and I see you guys on the phones. We'll get to you in a moment at 808-296-1420. I don't like the findings, so we're going to go ahead – And, uh, you know, we're just going to let it go because we don't want this to drag on. We don't want this to go into the, uh, you know, into the season and be a distraction. But at the same time, if the NFL is going to believe in something, even though they have been, frankly, just terrible when it comes to uh, putting down suspensions that are good enough, In sometimes other harsh incidents, better late than never for the NFL to try to stand up for something like this. Let's say hi to Gerald, uh, who's calling in here at 808-296-1420. Gerald, good afternoon.
2: Hey, Josh. I just was wondering, wouldn't it be better for him just to take the suspension now because if he puts it off, like say they give him the year for this year, But he fights it, and he plays this year, and then he still ends up getting suspended next year. Wouldn't it cost him more money in his salary because they only paid him the million this year or whatever that was?
0: Well, he's like well, I guess the fine would be, um, well, yeah, the fine would be anything extra, so it'd be suspension without pay. Yeah, I mean, if you're thinking it from a from a monetary standpoint, yeah, I I think you're right about that. Uh, You'd rather do it now, but I think there is a i think there's a stubbornness that he's got on record and has said i've done nothing wrong i am i i've i've committed no crime no not i've done nothing wrong so i'm going to want to fight to clear my name and even though the ownership group says he's remorseful um he apparently not is not actually remorseful so he's going to try to probably fight it just to make sure he clears his name. Um, And I think to him, for someone who's got a lot of money, that's probably more important than uh, money at this point. I think he wants to clear his name.
2: Yeah, I guess he's just off, though, because I don't think his name uh, will ever be cleared because so many people are – it's so, you know, kind of believable. And I haven't followed it that closely, but it's so believable already. And, you know, the judge uh, believed that he was, you know, pretty much did what the – ladies were saying. So, I mean, to me, he's just making himself lose both ways, but you know what? That's up to him. He, he did the wrong thing. And um, yeah, it doesn't seem like he kind of cares about it, but thanks for your opinion. I
0: appreciate it. Hey, appreciate you listening, Gerald. Thank you for calling in. Yeah. I mean, um, I think Deshaun Watson right now cares a little bit more about Deshaun Watson than he does about anybody else. And I think that's very clear in, in how he has not said anything. And I think he's continued to stand on the fact that he has said, I've done nothing wrong. I I don't believe I've committed any wrongdoing. That's the other part I think is, is kind of weird. We kind of said it briefly just a moment ago that um, the Haslam's, the, the team ownership of the statement, and part of that statement mentioned he, you know, he's remorseful. Is he? Because can you be remorseful? if you don't believe you've done something wrong. And I don't get the feeling and the belief that he believes he's done anything wrong. And if he hasn't, if if in his mind, he hasn't done anything wrong, then there's nothing to be remorseful of. But read the opinion on it. Read, um, read into that, you know, all the findings. And I don't think you'll find someone who's being wrongly accused of something. And go look into the, uh, the the cases that have been settled. And I think you'd be f- having a really hard time finding someone as, uh, you know, finding him as someone who is, well, innocent. And that makes it really, really tough to move forward. It is the Sports Animals. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu here at 92.7 FM and 14:20 a.m. you can get your texts in via our Zephyr insurance text line at 808-296-1420. Um also I think I'm I'm going to be really interested uh, a little bit later on to see all right. How do the Browns respond? Cuz I don't think the Browns responded today after uh, the NFL said that it was going to uh uh it, w- it was going to appeal this decision. And credit and to the NFL's credit and I I'm surprised they're doing it, but I I agree with it. Uh, they didn't wait until the very last moment, which would have been tomorrow morning. They got it out of the way in just over 48 hours' time, and uh, that was the right thing to do for them to 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 make the indication that they were serious. Uh, they knew what they were doing. They have a a strong belief in what the findings were and how the findings should have been interpreted differently, and uh, how they're going to move forward from it. So uh, we'll see what kind of reaction we get, and we'll see how long this takes. But uh, when we come back, we got uh, more with your and calls, and a little bit later on in the hour, uh, some of the things we unearthed that we didn't really remember or know about, after uh, finding uh, of the passing of, of Vince Scully yesterday. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour. This is the Sports Animals. I'm Josh Pacheco. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu. Coming up in just about 10 minutes, some of the things we get to unearth uh, after finding out of, of Vince Scully's passing yesterday, uh, I will admit that the last 22 hours have been uh, been a little different. You know, yesterday we'll we'll talk about this in the in the uh, the next segment. Uh, yesterday's show was was a little tougher to finish, I will admit. And uh, and last night when uh, I got home, I was uh, I was a little distracted because I was spending a lot of time unearthing some some of the old Vin Scully stuff, some of the stuff that I knew, some of the stuff that I didn't know. I think you heard uh, Kanoa earlier today play the uh, uh, the Madison Bumgarner story. With the uh, with the snake, with the uh, the jackrabbit that was found alive within the snake, which you would think is like just one of those those weird twisted children's books you read out of. No, uh, just Vin telling a story in real life, a a, a real story. It was uh, it was uh, kind of weird. And then some of the other stuff, his uh, football, uh, some of his golf you know one of the stories mlb network did on him uh, a, a couple of years ago that uh you don't you, you don't really pay attention to sometimes and then you realize when when someone moves on and and they have a tremendous career you start digging up some of that stuff and you spend a little time just uh going through all the oldies and goodies and there were plenty of those last night and and this morning I'll be honest I was uh, there's a podcast I listen to uh that Keith Olbermann does uh, of course Keith Olbermann is a uh, long time in the sports business was on Fox was on ESPN uh considered Vince Scully a friend and uh I remember him on on his podcast Day 3 of the podcast and Sharing uh, sharing a story about uh, introducing himself to him, and also how he introduced current Yankees uh, TV play-by-play voice uh, uh, Michael K to uh, to Vince Scully. Uh, just, there are so many stories that that go around, and and honestly, last night on the way home, uh, I, I was tuned into the Giants game. Of course, we had the Giants game on our sister station, CBS fifteen hundred, and. Uh, the Giants broadcast uh, of that uh, that game against the Los Angeles Dodgers and uh, the broadcast of today's game also on our sister station CBS 1500 they're in uh, uh, they're going into the managers show coming up in just a moment. And it was uh, went, it, it was like I was I was picking up something and I was kind of listening to a game. And then in it, it, was like I was I was listening to Vince Scully's stories while a game was going on, and there were were so many excerpts of things that I hadn't heard or or hadn't heard in a long time, and and stories that you hadn't heard. Um, you know, it was uh, it it was amazing, and. As you would kind of come to find out, too, and again, sometimes when you have a little bit of time, you find yourself in uh, Google search mode, and you're looking for anything and, and, and everything. And uh, to hear everything from uh, from Don Orsillo, who's the, uh, the the Padres play-by-play voice, who said, uh, you know, after the unfortunate ending of his time in, in in Boston, that Vince Scully was the one that convinced him to. Uh, go to San Diego. Uh, there's a play by play guy who I met several years ago in Oregon. I think his name is Rich Burke. And um he's a minor league play by play guy right now, but I met him several years ago filling in on UH men's basketball when Hawaii was at Oregon and I talked with him briefly, uh, right before tip off. He wanted to know something about Hawaii and and uh and more about like the mascot it was it was kind of weird but um you know he had said if not for getting to know Vin or getting to meet Vin doesn't think he'd be in the industry with baseball uh doesn't think he'd meet his wife uh doesn't mean that there was there was something else he said he doesn't think he would have credited if he hadn't had a chance to meet Vin and pick his brain and uh to see all of those stories all over the place is uh, is pretty incredible for a guy who did the job for, for 67 years and, and also had football and, and, and baseball. And, uh, you know, during the commercial break, I actually was looking at at one image that probably will stick out to a lot of people who have followed sports in L.A., whether you lived in L.A. I, I, I haven't. Um, I've always lived in Hawaii my entire life, but we always had – on television, the channels of uh, Los Angeles teams, the the prime tickets, the Fox Sports Wests, now the Bally Sports West and Bally Sports SoCal, um, you know the Spectrum networks and SportsNet LA and Spectrum SportsNet, and um, you know you've you followed all of those teams, and you know those those teams had iconic iconic. Voices. The uh, the the Dodgers obviously with Vin, the Lakers had Chick Hearn for a long time, and uh, you know the Los Angeles Kings, who had uh, you know they have had just a a great duo of play by play people in their you know. I think of Jim Fox and Bob Miller. When when Foxy and Bob Miller would work together, they were incredible. Uh there was never there was not a better duo, I think, in uh in hockey than those two. And so the the, the trifecta, Bob Miller, Chick Hearn, Vin Scully. Uh, I mean, just incredible. Uh, At Oracle Park, where the Giants and the Dodgers are playing today, uh, they showed uh, just a little while ago uh, one of the images uh, in memory of Vin Scully. Uh, As uh, they get ready to play their game, the Dodgers will have a a commemorative patch uh, with Vin's name and a microphone on it that they will wear, and I believe that's going to be for the remainder of the season. More on on him coming up. Some of the things we got to unearth. Uh, here over the last 22 hours or so since we learned of uh, of Vin's passing in just a little bit Josh Pacheco in for the guys you are listening to the sports animals here on ESPN Honolulu here at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM we'll check on the M Dire global scoreboard coming up in just a moment tried to end the show with this yesterday uh, but we were out of time and you know we went a slight bit over time um, but it had just gotten into our studio we were trying as best as we possibly could to uh, to sneak this in before the, uh, the, the, the the closing bell of the show and we couldn't. Uh, this was last night uh, AM570LA sports uh, Rick Monday who worked with uh, with Vince Scully uh, Tim Neverett who uh, uh, is kind of a part-time voice for the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. They were on the air last night when, uh, when the news of Vin Scully came down. This is how it sounded.
3: We have some bad news to pass along. And for those that have followed the Dodgers for so many years, and haven't we all, we lost a legend. We lost someone that brought us the joys of baseball. And with very sad news the passing of Ben Scully today and for those of us that were touched by him listen to him and learn from him. This is a uh, a deep loss. And to the entire Scully family, we send our our love and our respect and our thanks. This is more than just a game for those that have touched us.
4: 67 years, he was the voice of the Dodgers, but that's just a number. He is, was, and always will be the voice of the Dodgers.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's Tim Neverett there in the back end. Uh, Rick Monday previous to that. and uh, Again, long-time part of uh, of the Dodgers broadcasting family. Uh, I'm looking at the scenes in San Francisco right now at Oracle Park, and uh, with the the, the video – well, let me get to the video in a moment. Uh, the picture of, of Vince Scully, both teams out along the first and third base lines uh, – as part of the tribute to Vin, the um, one of the things that I kind of unearthed last night uh, on the way home, when I got home, uh, just trying to just soak everything in, was uh, Vin signing off in 2016. And and side note to that, I can't believe it's been six years since Vin's last called a game. I mean, it feels like Vin just retired like two years ago, and that's no offense to Joe Davis, who's really good. Obviously, he's now the he's the new voice of the World Series on Fox, um, but I can't believe it's been six years since Vin Scully signed off at Oracle Park in San Francisco, calling the regular season finale between the Dodgers and the Giants. But it was in it's it's in Vin fashion. And I think you know what I mean. If, if, when, whenever you hear me say Vin Fashion, the way he even says his goodbye, it's not just his warmth. He, he has the warmth of welcoming you in as soon as the broadcast starts. He has the warmth of welcome, uh, of, of keeping you along as a broadcast continues and tells his stories and, and his, his tempo and his, his tone is just, it's, it's, you know, near, you're perfect, right? Um, which is why it's amazing that when you then hear even the warmth of him saying goodbye, that it, you know, that even hits you pretty deep too. They, they were playing this actually uh, just moments ago at Oracle Park during the Remembrance of, uh, of Vin Scully's life, and uh, this is what it sounded like at the end of the 2016 season when Vin, uh, Vin decided he was uh, going to hang it up. This is courtesy of Spectrum Sportsnet.
4: You know, friends, so many people have wished me congratulations on a 67 year career in baseball and they have wished me a wonderful retirement with my family and now all I can do is tell you what I wish for you. May God give you for every storm a rainbow for every tear a smile. For every care, a promise and a blessing in each trial. For every problem life seems, a faithful friend to share. For every sigh, a sweet song and an answer for each prayer. You and I have been friends for a long time, but I know in my heart that I've always needed you more than you've ever needed me. And I'll miss our time together more than I can say. But you know what? There will be a new day and eventually a new year. And when the upcoming winter gives way to spring, oh, rest assured. Once again, it will be time for Dodger baseball. So this is Vin Scully, wishing you a very pleasant good afternoon, wherever you may be.
0: That that hits you, doesn't it? I, I'm I'm looking at Keegan, in the other side of the wall in the uh, in the control room, and I, and I see the emotion on your face, as. Uh, as we both hear that together, I mean, I love the line where he talks about, I've needed you more than you've ever needed me. Uh, because sometimes in this industry, uh, we put ourselves up on a bigger pedestal than we actually deserve to be on. Um, you know, our job is still to make sure that you know, what's going on, you know, the score, you know, what's happening on the field. Um, you know, you're, you learn something during uh, and, and, and after every broadcast. And, um, you know, sometimes I think people take that too much to heart and, uh, you know, make that more about who they are. And, you know, that that was who Vin was, but he never really, you know, portrayed it that way. As I, one of our callers said yesterday, and, and they were absolutely right, it's like the voice of someone that you wanted uh, that you could welcome into your home and just sit there and and talk story. And and even at a time like that when you know your career is coming to an end and he is still at the top of his game at that point um to be as warm and and inclusive and uh, and everything that he was is still in, in, incredibly impressive. I will admit yesterday was hard. Um you know, I, I think for people like like me that do play-by-play and one day hope to even be just 5% of what Vin Scully was because uh, for some people, 5% of Vin is really, really, really good. It, it was like losing someone you look up to. And I'd never met Vin I would have loved to have have met Vin the closest I've gotten to meeting Vin was meeting one of the people that he used to work with and uh, that was Ross Porter Ross Porter up to uh, in fact two years ago I think it was his last year Ross Porter was doing games for Seasun uh, he did baseball and I think no I think he just did baseball and uh, he came here to Hawaii. And um, I got to interview him during one of our our pregame shows before one of the uh, the the baseball games against CSUN. Uh, that was was that two years ago? Must have been two years ago because uh, this year they were here. But uh, yeah, this year they were here. But I don't I don't think their play by play guy came out. I think it was just us doing the games. And then it was on the road the previous year. And then uh, was it no? Must no? Must not have been twenty twenty or 2019 was one of those 2020 was the pandemic uh we didn't get into conference play it was 2019 or 2020 and i think it was probably more so of 2019 anyway you know that's that's the closest i could ever get to uh meeting vin through the eyes and and the mouth and the stories of someone who was part of that Dodgers broadcast team for for many years and uh, i think Ross is, has hung it up now but uh, you know where the warmth comes from, right? And so, uh, you know, it, it, I I think of 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 that when you know thinking of everything yesterday. But come back to what I was saying earlier. It, admittedly, was hard. Uh, you know, we look up to uh, when 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 we you know want to get into this business, and and we listen to people when we're really young. I listened a lot more to 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 John Miller. I watched more of Vin than I listened to Vin. Um but we you always take people that you kind of look up to whether you ever get into the industry or not because um they somehow they 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 hit you a certain kind of way. And you know both John and Vin hit me because of their storytelling and because of just their frankly their ease of What they do, or at least what it what it sounds like, the ease of what they do, and the ability to just kind of capture you and bring you in and make you not want to leave. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm listening to a San Francisco Giants game, and I'm like, what, twelve years old, maybe even younger than that, and I'm like, I I I can't get away from this. I don't I don't need to listen to music on the radio. I want to listen to Giants baseball. Uh, every time they're on uh, and listen to John Miller and when they're on and when when games are on TV, I'm, I'm watching Vin. You know, you you want to be that or at least something like that. Um, and of course, be your own person. Uh, but. Understand why it is that people like them are successful and and take that and hopefully get that opportunity to to get close to that and. Uh, that was kind of a reminder for me last night, and that's why the last forty minutes of the show last night were. I mean, honestly, it's it's hard. You pivot. You had plans of where you were gonna go to, and you don't end up going there. You know, we were supposed to air the DeForest Buckner replay yesterday. We didn't end up doing that. We just we just stayed on Vin. Um, you know, and and we know how much he touched a lot of people, and um, you know, I, it was it was hard to navigate to the end. We did. And I think at at the end of the show, I think I put the headset down and I just kind of took a couple deep breaths and walked out of the door, went into the other room and just decompressed for a little bit. Um, but you know the kind of nice thing, in a in a weird way, and, and we'll go to break here, or we'll go to our, our m Dire Global Scoreboard here in just a second. The weirdly nice thing about it is that, you know, it hit you. That, you know, the news hits you. Like a ton of bricks because of how unexpected it is and how you know how 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 much it means. And then you process it and then you go through the night an hour, two hours, three hours later, and you're smiling. And why? You're smiling because so many of the memories that you have are good. Great stories, great descriptions, great moments he was a part of. You know, as, as tough as the news was, how could you not sit there and actually have a smile and, and at times like a laugh thinking back to him? I mean, I was listening to the Giants postgame yesterday and, and hearing uh, Dave Fleming talk about uh, the one time he was in a restroom and I forget what uh, what park it was. And Vin was in there, and uh, Vin goes to him and says, "Dave, pull up a urinal." I mean, I I I busted laughing in the truck on on my way home, and I don't normally just kind of let out a lot of emotion like that, uh, but I did. That's how that's how much it means uh, that you can't necessarily just sit there and just you know kind of just be down about it because um you got the great life of someone and you realize you know we were all pretty lucky for it and uh, and that's what vin gave us coming up next hour Tuatunga Vailoa is in the news one put on the hot seat after uh having to to, to hear questions about Steven Ross talking to Tom Brady and of course the and obligatory. How does that make you feel? Do you feel like you have support here in Miami? The other one, though, was a little surprising. That Tua had an interesting response to reports out that he got married. Uh, you'll know his response, and we'll play you the part about uh, about the Tom Brady thing. Coming up in just a little while here on ESPN Honolulu at ninety-two point seven FM and fourteen twenty AM. Our Zephyr Insurance text line. Uh, Scott texts in the uh, uh, the the response to what we've been talking about with Vin. Uh, Scott saying uh, it's like when Kobe died. Um, yeah, in a in a way, I th- I think Kobe. If I'm not mistaken, was 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 the Kobe news on a weekend? Um. I think it was. I, I, I can't remember. It's all just kind of – it all just feels like it, it comes together. I still can't believe it's been as, as long as it has since, since Kobe's passed away. But, um, you know, one of the, the interesting things about when Kobe died, though, was we learned a lot more about Kobe the human – That I think we ever really got to know when Kobe was a player. You know, there are a lot of times in in covering athletes where when they play, and Scott says it was a Sunday, so you're right, it was a weekend. Uh, Thank you, Scott. Uh, You know, a lot of times, athletes, when they play, they don't really want you to focus as much on their personal lives. They like to keep some of that uh, a little bit private. They don't want that in the public eye. And so... You know, and, and, and some people are like, well, I mean, you guys focus too much on the athlete, not as much on, on the player and to you know, the response to that would be, well, they, they kinda don't at times want you to um, you know, have an eye on their families and what life off the basketball court or off the football field is like. Some people some people are okay with it, some aren't, you know, even with some of like, you know, community service stuff for example. Some people don't like to have their community stuff uh, put out there for everybody to see. They like to do some of that work and not really care if people know or not. Um, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with it if people do. Some people just like to just live a life behind the scenes and and not really have much more of that come out. With Kobe and recognizing some of the negative stuff that was that was out there. Um, We learned so much more about Kobe than I think most people really could recognize when he passed because it was like knowing a different Kobe Bryant. We got to, at that point, learn a little bit more about Kobe Bryant, the dad. We'll go to the phone lines here in a second at 808-296-1420. We learned about Kobe, the father. Uh, We learned about Kobe's endeavors in entertainment outside of just basketball. Like we learned a good chunk about him that I was I was surprised by um that I appreciated as well. So, you know, with Vin, you know, it's a little bit different because, you know, Vin wasn't necessarily someone that was a, a closed book. Um, you know, sometimes with announcers, I mean, you get who they are and they are who they are um you know one of vin's main things was you know um always be yourself you know that's that's one of his first rules don't be anything you're not especially in a baseball season if you're something you're not you're uh uh you know you're people are going to find out about that very quickly always always uh be yourself and um you know you get that when you when you talk to someone for upwards of uh, 150 to 162 games a year that it's, it's like they're your family member because you know them so much at that point already that, you know, um, they are, you, you know everything at that point. But that's the, the funny thing about it too is as much as we knew about Vin, we still couldn't believe how much more we didn't know when he passed away especially knowing that he was broadcasting baseball games for 67 years, did over 9,000 games in his career and still there were things that you just didn't know, which is uh, which is incredible by the way, I don't think he could mention it on SportsCenter, Uh, Padres playing against Colorado Brandon Drury, one of the new members of the Padres, I, I, I mentioned the top four in the lineup, I totally ignored Brandon Drury, what does he do? First pitch he sees as a San Diego Padre hits a grand slam. Those Padres are going to be so dangerous. 5 nothing San Diego, bottom one. Uh, they're at Petco Park on a day where uh, they're welcoming in some of the newcomers like Josh Bell, like Juan Soto, and now Brandon Drury uh, also into the mix. Our number, 808-296-1420. We've been talking, uh, we've spent a little bit of time on uh, on Vince Scully. We won't spend the entire show there. We'll, we'll get into Tua coming up in just a little while because um, a couple of things that he said, one relating to his personal life and the other relating to um, whether he's wanted in Miami, some of the recent stuff that's come out. Uh, we'll dissect both of those things. But as I said, we were talking about Vince Scully, a uh, l- little bit of last hour. Uh, as we uh, continue to reminisce just a little bit. Ken has been hanging on the line, uh, wanting to get in on that. Ken, thank you for holding on patiently. How are you?
5: Hey, man, I'm great. Anytime people want to listen to me, man, I'm like, hey, I'm going to wait and let them (laughs) speak. You know what's great is as you get older, it's a sad thing about getting older, but it beats the alternative. The older we get, the more we see people go. So my first thought when Bill Russell died was, man, you know, this death season, death is busy. So then Uhura, Nichelle Nichols, she passes, 89, 88, good long lines. Chick Hearn, even older. So the first thing, it was his time. But I'm going to reiterate what you said, what we learned from him. I didn't even know this. He said, just be yourself. That's kind of the same with Bill Russell. Bill Russell was himself. He didn't, he didn't always say, hey, somebody put pieces in my bed. But he kept playing hard. And after he died, we found out that's how he masked his anger. Kobe learned from Bill Russell. Now we can all learn from Ben and Bill Russell. And, and so that I don't get all mixed up, when I think of these deaths, the uh, the, the three L.A. icons, Chick Hearn passed, Kobe passed, Vin Scully passed, so we're going to hear a lot about them In Chicago, or is it an Atlanta Harry Carey fan, but to me, I'm just going to say that Vin Scully had, like, crossover appeal. He was an extra, or not an extra, he had bit parts in movies, everybody loved his voice, he seemed to be a chipper humorous guy, so people are going to miss that 150 games a year, but It'll live on. That's the thing about the death. Man, my sister, I just found out yesterday, would have been one of my dead sisters' 68th birthday. What do you mean, one of your dead sisters? One of my sisters died in 2016, 2019, and my other one just died in 2021. and It's just me and my one sister left. But it's scary, but at the same time, make something of every day. Now, that's how I'm going to get off. Today is what, August 3rd. Don't take anything for granted. Young people die, too. Nobody knew Vin was going to die, but now that he has, he had a hell of a, excuse me, a heck of a victorious life. So, you know, just, just smile, and, and it's okay to miss people. I mean, you want people to miss you when you're gone, but with him, I'm just uh, not surprised at all. When I heard he died, now I'm thinking, that's about enough. Usually it's in threes. Anybody in the military, tell you uh, usually one plane crash, something else going to happen, but that's kind of morbid. But anyway, thanks for taking my call, Josh. I'm sorry for the people that are going to miss him, but for everybody that's going to miss him, just remember, just just maybe make a gratitude list of two or three things he taught you or three or four things that he was happy about. Most of all when you get old every day you're in a little bit more physical pain every day you know two or three of your friends passed away if he was a widower now he's back but whoever he lost he might have lost a child he lived so long so you guys uh, take care and thanks for taking my call John hey, thank he's you uh,
0: thank you for listening Ken I, I appreciate it and yeah he uh, I, I don't remember when it was I think he had lost his wife and so uh, uh, you know they get to reunite uh, you know it uh, uh, the next phase it's you know it's a uh, good perspective um that I think Ken brings there and you know I Ken's lost uh, family members I've I've lost family members recently and um you don't know how to handle it and then I think after you you give it a a period of time I I think you then kind of start to learn okay how do you um you know, how do you take that pain and and, and turn it into, uh, you know, turn it into something where you feel, um, you know, gratitude, appreciation, um, what you miss about the good things? It's uh, some people... Handle that well, you know, much better than others. Uh, I, I understand, and nobody, you know, should ever tell people how to how to live their lives and, and how to manage grief. And there, there's no right or wrong way. Uh, you know, it, it depends on the person. But we often, I think, kind of learn about that on the fly. You know, going back to Finn, yeah, he had crossover appeal. But I think part of why he had crossover appeal, I mean, a, uh, you know, you're in L. A. Well, I mean, first you're in Brooklyn. Uh, you go from a, a a big city to to a, a another, if not bigger city in Los Angeles. As you're part of a team uh, for a very long time, I and mean, you follow the team in their move. So, I mean, you're in LA. There are there are opportunities, but I think in uh, on another side to it, it is also about how you treat people, which is. Which is so important, and you know, one of the reasons why you hear so many good stories when you hear so much of, uh, when you, when you hear so much of the fondness that you have, is because Vin treated people well. That's why. And again, like you know, I was saying earlier, so there are some times where people. In this industry, um, they put themselves on this pedestal that, you know, maybe they don't deserve to be on. Um, You know, at the end of the day, you know, we do a job like you do a job. Um, Our jobs may be different. They have different importances to different people. And they're executed in, in different ways. But, you know, we're not necessarily unlike you. You know, we're not. And there are some people who they get into this this industry and they like to believe that they are above that and um, they're a notch above. And everything that you hear to to the word in each story is he. everybody else put him there. Everybody else put him in that that godlike category of someone who was just above and beyond, and no one was at his level. And professionally, yes, no one, no one was at his level. Professionally, that is that is absolutely true. Um, you know, but it's like he never put himself there, um, and and allowed himself to be just like well, you and me. Just he just happened to have a, a really cool job that a lot of people got to know, and they took their transistor radios to the ballpark and, um, you know, they they followed along in, with every word. And that's also one of the the great things about baseball. and you know, Scott Robs, and I don't know if Scott's listening if if, if Scott is high. Um, one of the rewarding things about baseball, maybe more than any other sport is when, you walk around in the ballpark, and you've got you've got people bringing their radios. It's twenty twenty two. We may not be talking about transistor radios anymore, but you've still got people bringing their their old walkmans. Um, you know, whatever device that that it is that they use now. I have like uh, three different portable radios at home. One and it still works, is a Radio Shack radio. Uh, Don't look at me like that, Keegan. Don't. We all miss Radio Shack. In our industry, when we needed something, where did we go? We went to Radio Shack. Because sometimes you can't wait for Amazon to ship something in the mail. Radio Shack was incredible. Anyway... Not to go off on a tangent on Radio Shack, because I still remember the last time I drove around the island to go find one before I before I moved up here. Um, I remember filling in. I guess I'll tell the story. I'm already in it. Um, I remember I was filling in for Southern Miss for the uh, the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic when they were here many years ago. Their play-by-play voice, I think, was doing football. They had a bowl game, so I ended up doing their three games here, and I was also here doing the Iolani Classic. So I was here for a while. And I remember one of the things they needed was they needed an Ethernet cord. And this is before we were commonly using Ethernet cords. And before I really realized, oh, they have one already. So I got here. And, again, this is before I ended up making the move up here full time. And I was like, okay, where am I going to get an Ethernet cord? Uh, I need to go to a Radio Shack. And at that time, Radio Shacks were already kind of sunsetting across the country. And there was still one Radio Shack open. And it was, I I believe it was the Radio Shack at Kahala Mall that was still open. And I got my Ethernet cord at the Radio Shack at Kahala Mall. Turns out, didn't even need it. And by the time that I thought about returning it, way later, because I didn't end up opening it or using it, uh, Radio Shack was closed. And I was I was stuck with an Ethernet cord that is still somewhere around here uh, to this day. Anyway, um, back to the story on, on, on transistor radios. Way back in the day, because people always took them to baseball. It is always rewarding. Um, and one of the things I'm most thankful of uh, it is always rewarding when you see people taking their radios to the ballpark, uh, listening to you, uh, because they can see the game. They're watching the game, but that they still want something else uh, to to give them more as they're watching the game. You know, it's it's one of the it's one of the things that we're thankful that at least for me, I'm thankful for the most is that people even want to do that you could go to the game you know hear a lot of the outdoor sounds and take in the crowd and you know be sociable and talk to people you could do that um but the fact that you even have just one ear uh with the radio and your earbuds i mean uh it's it's an honor it's a and it's a privilege and it's one of the You know, one of the things that that make you the most thankful about getting to do what you do. And he had thousands and thousands at major league games uh, doing that for him. That's special. I still remember. I don't remember what, what, uh, what game it was. But it was a night. You know, it was probably last year. And um, oh no, no, it wasn't last year. There was a game. I don't remember. I I don't remember which game it was. And and they had television there, and television was doing some package stuff that, um, you know, they were they were interviewing people that were there, and they were using it. I think it was Friends and Family. Yeah, it was, oh yeah, it was a Friends and Family weekend last year, when uh, or two two seasons ago when they were bringing people back, and uh, you know they had people, you know, friends and family members being interviewed at the game. And it was still so cool. I was watching one of those video packages when I got home later that that day or night or whatever it was, and I'm hearing the radio call of the game in the background of the packaged uh, TV interview. And, um, (laughs) I mean, that's like the ultimate compliment. That uh, you know that you appreciate, I guess, in in, in this business. Uh, one more text message, uh, Leroy texted. Have we honored Les Kiter? I grew up listening to Vin Scully and Les Kiter doing his recreates. One of one of my bummers is that I I never got to hear Les Kiter. It's also one of and and Les Kiter died. Uh, what thirteen years ago, I think it was. You know, there are there are several people who have gone through this market and have gone on to big things beyond this market. You know, Les Kiter, um, you know, had had done some things. You know, you know, outside of just here, you mentioned the the recreates. That's something that he. He did, he did boxing, he got to work with Howard Cosell. He did Giants, Knicks, Rangers, San Francisco Giants, Sixers, College basketball, um, the Olympics in nineteen sixty eight. And I know that a lot of people um you know, a lot of people remember the recreates. I never got an opportunity to hear the recreates. Uh, I grew up way too late uh, to know what recreates were until people would start telling the stories of what they were like. I never got a chance to uh, to appreciate it and to experience it. And uh, I, I wish I did to have an appreciation of how difficult it was to do that job with that little around you and the cre well, I said that little of, of actual knowledge in front of you, but the ability to tell a story in what was even more so of a true art than maybe the art is now. I don't know what it was like um when less when less passed, and I don't I don't remember how much he was honored then again, it was 13 years ago. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of people that recognized him. Uh, I you know Vin I think for his 67 years in a in a sport I, I think maybe it's one of the reasons why people nationally I, I think have talked about him and, and talked to him and, and and about a lot more uh, than maybe they have anybody else. But I think that, that national that national reach is is part of why and, and him being synonymous with a sport is also why. But I, I go back to those that have gone through this market and, and actually Les was backwards because he was here during World War II and then got into sports and then worked here after that where you think of guys like um, Al Michaels, Al Michaels did games here. I think, didn't he do the Islanders uh, games way back when? Al Michaels at one point, Cincinnati Reds announcer. Uh, and, and Al Michaels now the voice of, uh, has, has called Super Bowls. And has, I think he's done an NBA Finals, at least one. And has called World Series. And uh, will be on on Amazon's Thursday Night Football package. We've been kind of lucky We've had a few that have uh, that have come through this place of ours and have gone on to uh, to, to really good things. It's, it's really neat. Uh, you can text us at 808-296-1420. Call us at 808-296-1420. Send us your tweets at Sports Animals. You can get to me directly at Josh on the radio. Uh, coming up, Tuatonga Tonga Bailoa. in front of the media, a day after his owner was suspended and faced a hefty fine after the reports of tampering involving Tom Brady and involving Sean Payton. And, of course, uh, one of the things that stands out about Tua having to get in front of everybody was that part of the tampering happened while Tua was there. And how Tua answered it, when he was asked the question, I thought was... Eye-opening. But there was something else Tua responded to that was also eye-opening today. And you'll hear that coming up in just a little while here on ESPN, Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Got a sports center update with Keegan Ota coming up in just a couple of moments. You'll hear Tua's voice coming up in just a little while. Uh, John's been hanging on very patiently at 808-296-1420. We happened to stumble on, thanks to uh, one of our texters mentioning uh, Les Kiter. Uh, also mentioning via text here, mention Al Michaels, Miracle on Ice. We know that. Uh, how could I forget that in the long list of things Al Michaels has done? Uh, but John hanging on patiently at 808-296-1420. Hi, John.
6: Hey, how's it going? So we're talking about, uh, like, great sportscasters uh, here in Hawaii. I would have to mention uh, Robert K. Kala, who we just lost last year. But uh, You know, um, I came here as a 19-year-old kid in 1976 in the military, Uh, lived here since then, but uh, I kind of came to know and love the, uh, you know, rainbow football, and there was a period of time back in the 70s when I didn't know if I was going to live long enough to see Hawaii beat BYU. You remember that time? You know, so it's yeah. kind of like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's funny because being from Chicago, I hated Jim McMahon all those years, and then he ended up, uh, giving me my only Super Bowl that I ever uh, had. But, uh, that's another thing. But, uh, but, you know, Robert Keikawa was, to me, was, uh, if something important happened in Hawaii, you had to turn on the news like that night to find out what Robert Keikawa had to say about it. Because you're kind of like, uh, you know, very central uh, kind of figure, uh, you know, happy, jovial, look, the kind of guy that you'd want to, like, hang around, dr- drink a couple beers with, uh, like, on the beach somewhere. But, uh, you know, the thing was is uh, if something was happening important in, in Hawaii sports, you, I always wanted to hear what Robert had to say about it, and he was, uh, you know, has to go down there with one of the greats in uh, Hawaii Broadcasting.
0: I would agree with that, and and what made Robert interesting, and John, thank you for the call. I I appreciate you listening in. You know, one of one of the things about Robert that I think put him in a in in a much different category, I think, because of the era in which Robert did it, and we still miss Robert. Uh, We really do. One of the things about Robert that was different, you know, Robert didn't have you know the 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 national following you know when, when we talk about guys like like Al Michaels and and Les Kiter for for their different reasons i mean but robert bled and lived everything hawaii and yeah i mean you you felt like you you felt like you lived hawaii sports through him the other thing i would say about robert is um, you know, you see people that, you know, kind of carry on through him. Let me give you an example. You know, Rob DeMello is, uh, is someone I consider one of the best in this industry right now. Of course, he's a K-H-O-N. um, but, you know, Rob is, is someone that, and, and he's always been proud of, of his time, you know, working with Robert K. Kala, um. But Rob has carried on you know that legacy of of you know, not just covering sports, but living it and and representing it in Hawaii uh, through how they do sports. And the best thing about it, and what I think you know has I, I've looked at Robert a little bit differently, I think, in the last year or so. Um, you know, since he passed away and, and also, you know, as, as more people talk about him, what we learned a lot more now about, um, about Robert is, as you've heard more people talk about how much he worked with people, and when you see people like Rob DeMello and the influence that he has had on the people that work with him, you know um you know and, and the guys he's got now you know Alan Hoshida has been you know been a really welcome addition uh, to this market Christian Shimabuku may not be on television but uh, you see his hard work you know when you have that work ethic that carries on not just in one individual but how that individual passes that on and how important it is to understand and live and breathe sports in Hawaii and how you present it is um, you know, it was important. But you know the other reason why I say Robert was was also so different was his national following came in, in kind of a different way. You see, you know in, in him doing Hawaii football on on television the last however many years up until last year, um, you know obviously it was it, they were very much local broadcasts but at the same time you had um, you had people catching it on on uh, their streaming platforms you know they'd have to watch it on Facebook watch or whatever however they watched it in the last few years and Robert became kind of like one of those late night cult followings maybe not nationally but regionally I mean people but those people, also knew that he wasn't just, again, he he wasn't just another broadcaster that just happens to be calling a game. They knew when they turned on Facebook Watch or whether they downloaded whatever app at the moment it was that you could turn on the Hawaii game and you saw Robert on your television and you heard Robert call the game, A, you knew it was a Hawaii game. B you weren't going to get a generic play-by-play person. You weren't. You were going to hear someone whose passion for the sport came through, but his passion for the team came through even more. And, yeah, you knew it was a Hawaii broadcast. Um, But you also knew the respect and the passion and the care and the love that was put into it, because that's what Robert had done, um, even going back to his days on on KI. Well, even before KITV, I think when he was at KHL doing sports, um, you know, I think that's that's why when I when I think of him, I think of him in a in a little bit of a different way, because we got to know him, you know, a, more on a on a local level than than maybe we got to with with Al, for example. Um, you know, as, as he continued on and, and got great network gigs, that it was it, it, it was indeed a little bit different. Our text line, here, Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. Uh, one more here on Les Kiter. This is from Richard who said, uh, Les Kiter, years ago, a friend of mine said Les wants to do a documentary. Then calls me and he was so excited. We talked for thirty to forty minutes. He wanted the episode of Hawaii Five O where he wa- where he got the general tag. I'm just, I'm I'm reading these texts and it's kind of just piecing together. Uh, it says I then waited to hear from my friend and Les, but God smiled on Les. Did it ever get done? I don't know. Um, that's a good question. I have no idea if it got done or not. Uh, but I hadn't heard. Uh, Sports Center update coming up in just a couple of moments. Keegan Ota's got that delivered for you. We'll take a look at Surf here in just a moment. And when we come back, uh, Tua tonga If you wonder how Tua feels about the current situation he's in, take a listen to how he got to his answer today on how he feels about the situation he's in. But what else is kind of bothering him? We learned all that today. That's coming up next. I have felt for Tuatunga-Vailoa for quite some time. Uh, No one wants to be in a situation where it feels like they're not wanted. No one does. Uh, Whether it is on a team, whether it is in your workplace, uh, whether it is amongst people you think are friends, nobody ever likes to be in that position where you're hearing stuff behind your back, and you're all of a sudden kind of questioning, well, what's uh, what's my role? Am I wanted here? Do I belong? It's not a great situation to be in. Just imagine that for Tua tonga Vailo in the last year when uh, you hear Stephen Ross is allegedly talking to Tom Brady. Around the time as well, part of that time was when Tua was there in in Miami. And then, of course, when the NFL hands down its punishment on uh, the Dolphins owner, who's not around the team, you'll only be there when games are played through mid-October, but that's it. Uh, Also, the team got a a hefty fine, lost a first-round pick in 2023 and another uh, future pick. When it feels like it's just kind of confirmed that, yeah, you're the supposed franchise quarterback, but... You know, behind all of those words there's the owner of the team and he's talking to the greatest of all time it's hard to be jealous of that fact because it is again the greatest of all time But that doesn't make you feel any better so it was brought up to Tua Vailoa today uh, as the Dolphins are in camp by the way Dolphins and Bucks will have joint practices next week shouldn't that be fun Tua was asked about it. This is his response.
1: Something happening with Brady. I I mean, I don't know all the details. I don't even know what, what happened. Um, but, I mean, I, I got to talk to a couple of the guys, you know, to kind of fi- find out what was going on. And everyone's wondering the same thing. So, I'm not too sure. But no discussions with, you know, I guess whether it's Chris Greer, Mike McDaniel, or even Stephen Ross about your standing with the team. Nothing like that. What do you mean, my standing with team? I mean the fact that they spoke with Tom Brady on multiple occasions, which included him his plan for the team. Was that in 2019? 2019 and then was 2021. In, okay. I can I, I remember I came in 2020, so whatever happened in 2019, I don't even. I can't even speak on that. So I was here 2020, and I'm still here, and I'm blessed to be here. You know, if it has to do with support from the team, I think the team's all in with, with me and all the guys that we have now.
0: Man, that's a, that's a doozy. That's a doozy of what? What is that? Uh, 53 seconds? I mean, I, I think Tua's is trying to take the high road when I hear that. But I also hear a little bit of the annoyed Tua. Can't control what happened before I was there. I don't know anything. But, you know, one of those questions was a pretty pointed question. You know, has Chris Greer talked to you? Has Stephen Ross talked to you? Has Has any of them talked to you about your standing on the team? And notice, while he got a clarification on that question, he did not at any point in time say that anybody talked to him about his standing on the team or anything that happened during that time. Now, I don't know if Brian Flores might have. Brian Flores is no longer there, and therefore Brian Flores' opinion very much doesn't matter. Uh... But note that the thing that was not said, that any of those individuals came up to him and clarified where he stands with that football team. That is, um, that's a pretty numbing answer to me. And I'm sure that that was something that maybe he intended to gloss over to not say it just because you know, um, hey, it's 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 kind of sensitive. You don't want to you don't you don't want to be a you know you don't want to be involved in it. Well, you are. That non-answer answer said a lot. It was also interesting to hear him say he feels like he's got the support of that team which is interesting because he is one of the most talked-about quarterbacks right now in the in the National Football League, and it's kind of about how much support he has, even from the guys on the roster, and the question marks about how much support he will have if he does not have a great year because the pressure is on him. And very clearly, uh, this is one of those, you know, generically said, one of those make-or-break years, right? Um, but no one's out there sticking their neck out for him, and it's why I I feel in a way I I feel kind of bad for him because um he didn't ask for Steven Ross to break the NFL rules, and honestly he didn't ask for Brian Flores to go out and you know file a lawsuit claiming discrimination and a lot of what Brian Flores has brought up you know we haven't heard everything but at least part of it on the you know managing to try to lose games um in in weird wording wasn't fully substantiated by the league that there was talk but apparently it never filtered down to the players it was just talked about in the front office but the wording was different and um it was weird no other way to. It, it was it was weird. So um, Tua never asked for that, but this is part of being a pro. Uh, you will have pressure. You will have to respond to it, and you know what? At times, um, you're gonna get a little testy with the media. At times, um, you know you are. You are going to have to face some criticism, and you're going to face a lot of praise too. You're going to face everything being a professional. That's the accountability for being a money making player in the National Football League. And uh, you know, we have seen now, I think, a little bit of the annoyed. I'll I'll use the uh, the the annoyed Tua. That I think he he may be even more business than ever before that I think he's hardening himself. That shell is getting a bit stronger. I think he's a little more protective of himself right now because his future has been tossed around in so many different directions, uh, really, in this last offseason. Texter uh, from the 285, looking at this whole situation, says anyone who would pass on an opportunity for the greatest of all time is a fool. And if you're offended by that as a kid, too bad. Then says he's involved because of the media. Otherwise, it wouldn't even come up. Actually, um, that is inaccurate. is uh, involved because the NFL found that Steven Ross was tampering by talking to a quarterback who was, um, you know, who, who was employed by another team on several different occasions, even to the point in time where, uh, Tua was on that Miami Dolphins team. That's not the media's fault. The media didn't go and talk to Tom Brady on Stephen Ross's behalf. Stop making us the scapegoat. That's Stephen Ross's fault. And if you don't want to blame Stephen Ross for trying to gain some kind of a competitive advantage by breaking the rules a little bit, uh, if you want to bl- uh, blame Brian Flores, then okay, you can go blame Brian Flores because he put that in his... Um, in in his complaint against the National Football League when it was all about, um, you know, some of the things that Stephen Ross did, uh, the media didn't unearth it. No, there was no uh, sources say that Stephen Ross went on a boat to go talk to Tom Brady. No, Brian Flores said that Stephen Ross went on a boat to go talk to Tom Brady and that, uh, Brian Flores want not, wanted nothing to do with the conversation. The media is doing its job. What a concept! Reporters and writers doing their jobs. We're such scapegoats sometimes. It's annoying. They had to ask. If no one came up to him... In his, uh, in his media availability today and asked that question, it would have meant that every single one of those individuals failed to do their jobs that day because you have to ask the quarterback of that team, the franchise quarterback of that team, how it would feel uh, about his standing on the team when the owner of the team is talking to somebody else. You have to ask it. And you know, Tua's done the best job he possibly can in, in handling it. There's one thing, however, though, that he's a little upset about that I don't know that he has the right to be upset about. Coming up, uh, we have an ILH football schedule that's in front of us. And uh, one thing that's noted here, we'll get to, uh, there was a talk earlier in the year about potentially playing some games at the T- uh, Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Uh, might not be the case. Uh, we'll explain that coming up in just a little while. Uh, we were mentioning Tua Tonga-Vailoa just a moment ago, and one of the things that Tua was kind of unhappy about, I mean, we you, you heard the bite about the whole uh, rumors surrounding um, uh, Tom Brady. Tua was not happy that his marriage was revealed publicly. And uh, this was actually first reported. Was it yesterday or the day before? There was a um, there was a sports guy who who went out and reported that Tua Tonga Tonga Vailua yesterday got married a couple of weeks ago, and that news got to Tua, and Tua wasn't necessarily thrilled about it. He said, and I quote: "It was very special." I don't know who ended up leaking it, but he must have been waiting outside the courthouse for an entire week or something. For me, I love to keep my life as private as possible, and that's what we tried to do, me, my wife, and my family. But obviously, in this world, it's not how it is. It's almost kind of disrespectful, if you will, by doing that. But it is what it is. And shoot, can't do anything about it. Guys, I have a wife, close quote. Um, Andy Slater was was the guy, by the way, who... Uh, Broke the news on Tua getting married. Uh, Andy Slater works in Miami on a, a sports radio station. There, um, this is one of those areas where I, I I get where Tua, you know, wants to keep some of that private. But the unfortunate part about that is, um, once you're kind of in this position, keeping stuff like that private's just not possible anymore. You're now a public figure and anything you do is now kind of a public thing. Now there are, you know, there are things within reason, but you're out in public getting married, you can't really get upset when people find out that you've gotten married. Can't really do that to be honest. So um I, I know it's kind of a weird off season for him, and, and having this to deal with is not all that fun. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know that uh, I don't know that he really has a case on feeling disrespected by people breaking the news of his marriage, because well, he is a public figure, and uh, that stuff's gonna happen. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe tell the people around you, maybe force them to sign NDAs or something. Tell the people around you, do not talk to anybody. We're getting married, and if you're fortunate to be here, you're fortunate to be here. But shut your mouths and don't say anything until we do, because it is our marriage. It is not for you to go and be a source for a reporter. Get mad at your friends. Don't get mad at the media. The Sports cards and collectibles with uh, Darren Morris coming up in an hour. Meantime, we uh, get you through your uh, drive home here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. I'm Josh Pacheco. Uh, Chris and Gary, they uh, continue on morning duty. And by the way, uh, you can check them out tomorrow morning where their guest list will include uh, Jason Reed, uh, ESPN and Anscape senior NFL writer. And uh, they'll also have uh, Elaine Poupar, from uh, Sports Illustrated's All Dolphins site with more on what we've been talking about with Tua Um vailoa uh, And uh, you'll hear more of that coming up a little bit later on. I did mention this a moment ago. Uh, we do have what appears to now be uh, a, a finalized ILH football schedule. And we've been kind of waiting for a while because, uh, uh, frankly we had been hearing for so long, you know, the first reports came out, I think it was back in June that, um, you know, there was a, a schedule out, but it, you know, they're always tentative and, and coaches always tell us, well, you know, it uh, it's, it's never really finalized. It always changes. And, you know, we, we get that. There are things that happen that constantly update the schedule, but there was one thing that um, people were kind of looking forward to when that initial schedule was put up. The possibility that you could see high school games played at the Clarence TC Ching Athletics Complex. You know, uh last year obviously was the the one final year of of games at Aloha Stadium with no fans, which of course you could do because of uh uh the pandemic. But we saw state tournament games played at Farrington. Now, uh as of and it was just a couple of days ago I was going through uh, through scheduling because obviously trying to look to see where we're going to be this year. They have not announced where the state championship games are going to be held for the first Hawaiian Bank, Hawaii High School Athletic Association State Football Championship. None of that uh, has been finalized. Could it be at Farrington? Could it be at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex? Uh, we'll We'll find out all of that is still very much to be determined. But there is this kind of glimmer of hope that maybe some of the first games you'd see would would be within the ILH because when that initial schedule came out, while it didn't say it was confirmed, it was uh, something that the league was working on to try to get some games there at the, uh, at the complex. And as we got the new schedule just within the last what half hour to, to 45 minutes, it is not the case uh, that you don't have, uh, you don't have games there, with the exception of, and it's not finalized, the potential for a playoff, and I I'm pretty sure this would be an, an open division potentially, but they have on one of those playoff games, which would be, October 28th it says TC or TBA so it could be at the Clarence TC Ching Athletics Complex it may not be at the Clarence TC Ching Athletics Complex and uh, if you're wondering on the 28th Hawaii football um 20 they say 28th is a uh, no 21st I'm sorry no no 28th they have the dates wrong here uh because <laughs> the 28th is a Friday, and they have it listed as a Saturday, so I think they meant the 28th as a Friday. Uh, then you might have the possibility of a uh, of a game there. Anyway, most everything is uh, at school sites. There are going to be some games, it looks like, that will be held at uh, Farrington, which includes a, a doubleheader on September 17th with Damian and Iolani followed by uh, St. Louis and Punahou, and then uh, pac Five and Damien will play an intermediate game on September 10th. But everything else at uh, at school sites. The one of the weird things about the schedule, and I don't I don't know if there's a, a a distinct reason for it, but a lot of these games, these these um, Division One or Open division games. I, I realize, you know, there's division two, but, you know, there's only one school technically that's division two, and that's and that's Pac-5. Um, but, well, well, they don't even list it as division two. They have varsity, varsity open, and then uh, varsity. And varsity is where you have Pac-5, Damien, Iolani, and then Kamehameha, Punahou, and St. Louis all have twos, uh, if you will. But I noticed something interesting about the schedule that they have all of those open division games on Saturday nights. That none of these, with the exception of any potential playoff, um, I they only have a playoff for well, they have a you know the 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 top three in the open. They have kind of a, a, a three team postseason format. Doesn't look like they have that for. Uh, your Division One, but if there is a playoff in either one of those, uh, that would be on a Friday. But all those open division games are on Saturday nights. And I'm surprised by that because you're putting those games up almost at the exact times as University of Hawaii football games. Now, um, it's important to note. Some of the challenges that at times lead to that. For example, um, if you're playing a game at Punahou, you're going to be playing that during the day. You're not going to be playing that at night, which means, you know, you've got kickoff times. I'm looking at that varsity, uh, you know, Division One open game against uh, St. Louis. It's at three o'clock in the afternoon. You're not putting that on uh, on a Friday. You know, Iolani will play some of their games on Fridays, and they have some of those 315 games. You know, a lot of these venues don't often have lights. Um, and if you want people there, if you want to maximize the people there, you'll you'll play it on a weekend during the day as compared to on a Friday during the day, I guess uh, Iolani uh, being the exception to that. You play a game at, uh, at St. Louis. You're playing... Well, you're you're kinda of playing during the day. So, you know, you, you kinda of note that. In fact, as far as the open games are concerned, I don't think Saint Saint Louis is listed as a as a home on one of those games, but it's at Farrington. And then there's another one where they're listed as a home, but it's at Kamehameha. So there therein lies and that's one of the challenges of not having Aloha Stadium as a viable venue where you can bring in fans because these would be the kinds of games that you would have at Aloha Stadium, right? Um, you'd play these games in front of a couple thousand fans. You put them under the under the big lights. You you get television. You get the Spectrum team down there. You get radio down there, and and you have them on these big stages. Well, without Aloha Stadium and without really the ability to use the Clarence T Chang Athletics Complex because, you know, I, I think you still are trying to be kind of cognizant about the amount of people you have on campus when you also have volleyball going on. Uh, you've got University of Hawaii football, and, I, and maybe there is still the question about how much you can... Um, you know how much you can have a, a presence of, of high school games there, which I don't think is really a big deal because softball state championships played there. We've seen basketball and volleyball state championships played there occasionally. We've seen the OIA play their um, you know, league championship occasionally at Les Murakami Stadium. State championships been held like two out of every three years at Les Murakami Stadium. So I, I don't think... Um, I don't think that's the issue that it seems it's a, a, a little more about just kind of the busyness on campus and, uh, and the ability to have that there. And that makes it tough. And and that's really kind of my, my big bummer on the schedule is that um, those games, those games that lead toward state tournament eligibility are going right up against and around on on University of Hawaii football game days. And looking at it from another perspective, it is the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. You can uh, text the Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. Looking at it from another perspective, you know, outside of the bye week, and I also realize there is a thing called tape and film, um, and I realize you have those opportunities. But there's nothing like the ability to have coaches go and watch some of these guys live, right? Um, you want to be able to, uh, as as Timmy Chang has talked about, casting the net. Casting the net across the Pacific. But that net is also inclusive of what's right in front of us here. And it is, on, honestly, it's it's a little bit of a bummer that for most of those games where you've got, uh, you know, Punahou and St. Louis and, and, and Kamehameha play, and I'm, maybe I'm just looking at the open division schools, but for most of those games that you have those schools playing, you would love that you could see a, 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 a UH coach there or two UH coaches there or, or a group of them to go watch some of that talent to show that, hey, you know, this school, this state, we are watching you. We want to recruit our local boys here, and we want them to get uh, to to play at UH. And uh, well, a lot of times when you're playing, we just we can't come and watch you. We'll have to go uh, see if we can get tape from your coaches or go DVR it on TV. But that's not the same. That's not the same as being there in person. And, uh, and and showing and representing uh, how much you are paying attention to the game in front of you. But, again, it, it's not a – I don't think it's really a, a fault of the ILH. I mean, look, you have so many sites that are used. And, and the realization of what you really can use at night in the ILH, I mean, it really comes down to what? Uh, Kamehameha? That's pretty much it. And then, uh, you know, using Farrington on a, on a few smaller occasions, otherwise you're going to be playing games at 9 a.m. at, at Punahou or 3 o'clock at Punahou. Um, you know, the Aloha Stadium situation, as much as we've talked about it with the University of Hawaii and how it affected them, that is that other effect is what it did – to uh to the high school football stage and i think for the first time now without uh, now with fans coming back this is the first time where you're really gonna get a feel of how much that does affect where and how games are played on the high school level especially when the oia for the most part they've got their venues um you know whether you're going to Roosevelt or you're going to Lelehua, you're going to Moanalua, you're going to Farrington, you're going to all of these different sites. They've got their venues, and uh, you know they've they've got their infrastructure there. It's a little bit different, and it's uh honestly it's a little it's a little unfortunate I think uh, for the ILH to be put in that position. Uh, maybe there will be some adjustments to the schedule that allow things to uh, to be a little bit better, but. Um, you know maybe open up some fridays or maybe you know, maybe open up some better opportunities i don't know I, I i would love to say you know and it's it's a out of the box idea but i almost wish you kind of threw in a thursday or two here and there i think back to oh gosh what year was it it might have been 2015 or 2016 it was one of those years probably more 2016 and i remember when there was a referee shortage and they had to space out games and so you had thursday friday saturday for high school football at least at, at least on hawaii island and i remember that because there you know there were some some d2 games that got moved from like a friday to a thursday because they didn't have enough referees and they needed to make sure the the games could be played, but also I actually thought Thursdays were really kind of fun, you know they were they were different, but many times it was just it was one game that got moved over. You were the only game of the night, and I remember the radio station that I was working for. Um, you know we would oftentimes do that oftentimes do that Thursday game, and I remember one of them was uh, was an eight man football game, and it was so fun. It was uh, it was Ka'u playing, I think it was Pahoa. It was an eight-man football game. It was high-scoring. It was actually one of the more fun high school games I've ever done, and it was on a Thursday night. It was, uh, it was our version of prime time, I guess, the only game on that night, and I thought it was really good. And I guess that would, that would be maybe my the one concession I wish I could, I would love to throw out, is the idea of you know what, Saturdays I get it but what if there was a way to secure a Thursday night? And if you have to play all of your ILH night games at Kamehameha and get rid of of home field, or um, if you could secure Farrington a little bit more, whatever it is, whatever you have to do, Thursday nights aren't, uh, aren't a bad idea. I think those are great nights for football. You play them right after the Thursday night NFL game, yeah, yeah, football from the afternoon to the evening. I think it's fun. Text our Zephyr Insurance text line at 808-296-1420. You can call us at 808-296-1420. Send us your tweets at Sports Animals. and get to me at Josh on the radio. Coming up, uh, we go back to our top story of the day. The NFL will appeal the six-game suspension of Deshaun Watson. Um, but what is the risk in the NFL doing so? Great to have you in on this Wednesday. I'm Josh Pacheco. Chris and Gary will be on tomorrow morning. It is the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Uh, Coming up in a moment, what's the risk for the NFL in appealing the six-game suspension handed down to Deshaun Watson? That's coming up in a moment. By the way, uh, Shevin Cordero, some people think, uh, could be the number one QB. For San Jose State heading into their uh, Week One game against Portland State, uh, one of their uh, team websites they have here, and I quote: "Chevin Cordero is expected to be QB one heading into Week One versus Portland State." Uh, then they say here, Nick Nash is projected to be the QB two heading into the season, comfortably leading the offense if called upon. Granted, that's uh, the Spartan spotlight. So, uh, you know, it's nothing official being said here by, uh, by San Jose State. But uh, anybody kind of wondering, well, Nick Nash is starting experience. He's a different quarterback. Where would they go? Um, I think we got a little bit of the hint when Chevin Cordero was brought to Mountain West Media Days a couple of weeks ago. So uh, maybe that leads us to kind of the answer with who is QB1 and whether he will be QB1 when uh, Hawaii plays in San Jose State. The Saturday after Thanksgiving to wrap up the regular season. There is also that scrimmage coming up on Friday, which we're uh, looking forward to over at the uh, over at the University of Hawaii. Uh, Forty play scrimmage, according to Steven Sy, as uh, Hawaii football continues to to gear up. There was tough news today. It seems like the injury bug is starting to catch up with this University of Hawaii football team. The uh. uh the, the other news today that uh, came from the family of uh, Chad Owens is that the uh, Hawaii slotback is going to go under a surgery, and that is for a foot fracture. And uh, we'll see how long that leaves Chad Owens Jr. out of the picture uh, for the University of Hawaii. What's the risk for the National Football League to appeal the suspension handed down by its independent arbitrator in the Deshaun Watson case. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. First, Adam Schefter on NFL Live earlier today on why the NFL uh, wants to uh, uh, to appeal that decision and what they want Deshaun Watson to ultimately do.
1: This could be the start of a very long legal drawn-out process, but Deshaun Watson is not going to play at the start of the season. His six-game suspension stands. The NFL is looking to add on to it, and add on to it by a lot, I would imagine, because the league wanted an indefinite suspension with Deshaun Watson having to apply for reinstatement. The NFL had until 9 a.m. on Thursday to make a decision about whether or not to appeal The justice's decision considering that it would undermine her in her very first decision and that is exactly what the league decided it decided to take a stand against the judge's decision to stand up for what it believes is right and the judge wrote that the NFL proved that Deshaun Watson was guilty of sexual assault that he posed a threat to the women around him, and that he compromised the integrity of the National Football League in six games is not enough in the NFL eyes.
0: So what does the NFL have to lose here? Maybe not as much as the NFL might normally uh, because the court of public opinion for once is on the NFL side. I, I maybe have seen one person who's texted us on our Zephyr Insurance text line who has said, the independent arbitrator got it right—that Deshaun Watson uh, is right to be suspended for six games and and not face a fine. Other than that, it has been very loudly. Uh, this is too light. This is this is not enough of a of a punishment. And and I and again I realize that Sue L. Robinson was really going by the NFL's well. Uh, the NFL's way of handling things previously, which leads me to what the NFL I think has to lose by doing this. Um, they have the court of public opinion, and I and I do believe if the NFL really, really wanted to get what it wants, that it would give this straight to Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell's not gonna gonna mess around. He's gonna keep this one not give it to another independent person and, you know, do what the league wants. Because at the end of the day, um, the NFLPA signed this. They signed in the CBA that the NFL can, if it wants, appeal a punishment put down by the independent arbitrator. And when they do and when they come up with that decision, that it will be final. And I don't know, I, I hear people talking about federal court today. I don't if it is final and it's in a collective bargaining agreement. I don't know how the Players Association or Deshaun Watson's camp could um you know could argue it in federal court and win if it was mutually agreed upon by the players and the league. I mean, I don't see any forged signatures in the collective bargaining agreement. But that is where the NFL has the most to lose eventually. It's not necessarily in what happens to to Deshaun Watson. It's what happens with the relationship between the league and its players. You have a collective bargaining agreement right now that runs through 2030. But They don't wait till 2029 to talk about a CBA in 2030. Um, Really smart and like-minded people are working years in advance. Also, I think it's probably notable that something like this would probably jumpstart any CBA talks now. Eight years in advance of, uh, of, of the CBA expiring. And by the way, this CBA is only, what, a couple of years old. This has always been a sticking point. Um, at least in recent memory it has, about how the NFL handles punishments, how the Players Association has also always taken offense to Roger Goodell and or the commissioner in in whatever case, being the one who hears it and the one who decides on it. And it's like there's there's no other say. And um, I think people have kind of understood it. They've they've kind of, in a way, agreed with it. But there are always concessions you make in a CBA. Sometimes you get what you want. Sometimes you have to give what the other side wants. No side is ever 100% happy in a collective bargaining agreement. That's why you, you know, you bargain. what happens here if the nfl ultimately gets what it wants they want it they want a indefinite suspension and like you heard shefty say a little while ago deshaun watson would have to reapply for reinstatement and go through that process the nfl by by doing that basically says yeah we want control of this whole thing that um it's not just going to be cut and dry we want this an independent punishment and then or an indefinite punishment and we'll be we'll be following what he does in that point in time and if he is you know if if he's better if he doesn't get himself involved in stuff then okay um we'll we'll reinstate him fine but if he and there are people that have tried to get reinstated that have been on a uh, on an indefinite suspension, that have been brought back and then punished again, or have had their punishments extended when they've tried to apply for reinstatement. We've seen it happen. I think Josh Gordon is probably the most recent example of that when he was dealing with his uh, with his unfortunate drug issues. Come back, gone again, and tried to reapply. I have a feeling that. The NFL getting everything it wants, and knowing it has the backing of a signed CBA to help it in court, will lead to 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 unrest as we get closer to a new CBA. Because while this is the first time this you know instance of it is is being done, this will sit with the minds of um, of, of players. What if this happens to a teammate of mine? What if it happens to... Well, I shouldn't be in this position in the first place, but what if it happens to me? Um, where are our protections? And if it feels like the Players Association has given up too much, and um, you know this potentially could be a good example of that, then they're going to want to bargain this one all over again. I should also probably say... Uh, don't be in a position where, you know, you're, you're going to Instagram and you're going to your teams and, uh, you know, hooking up or, or, you know, meeting up with 66 different women to massage you. Don't do that. That's, that's, that's icky. That's kind of why I don't think that at the end of the day, Deshaun Watson gets a full year suspension because this will get as much as I know you don't like it and I don't like it in fact I kind of hate it this will get kind of political because the end game as as we've kind of talked about here the end game is not just what happens to Deshaun Watson the end game is about if you're the NFL You want to keep this. The NFL kept power in this, even though it gave it up the initial power in punishments. The NFL doesn't want to lose it. This is all part of, you know, keeping labor peace, right? It would be in the NFL's best interest for this to not go all the way to federal court even though they think it will win because of the bigger play here in the next seven to eight years. I could see, you know, 14 games in a 17-game schedule. I could see, in fact, Jeff texts in here. Jeff says, 12 games seems right as a starting point. Says, Judge didn't care about the NFL shield. NFL had to appeal. yeah, 12 could be very likely. Then you get the NFLPA to maybe think about, well, we thought they wanted it indefinite. Maybe they they did us a little bit of a favor. Maybe we won't take this all the way up to the federal court. Maybe this will lead to something not coming up in the next CBA. You don't like the politics of it, but it is big business and politics exists all the time. Right behind us sometimes right underneath our noses, and we don't even know about it. And I believe politics will play heavily here uh, between both of these camps to ensure that Deshaun Watson sees the field this year, if at the earliest by week 14. Because uh, I don't think the NFL, as we talked about yesterday, I don't think the NFL wants this to draw out much longer than the story is going to be, so you appeal. Maybe it gives you a chance to uh, to negotiate with Deshaun Watson's camp, and maybe they think it can put it to bed. But if it's any more than twelve games, I have a feeling this is going to be a much longer fight, and it may have some sort of an effect on future labor peace between the NFL and the NFL Players Association. Take a look at the M. Dyer Global Scoreboard code up in just a moment. I'm Josh Pacheco. This is the Sports Animals. You're listening to ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Uh, let's get to the Zephyr Insurance text line. Daniel texts in and says, uh, I know people keep comparing this suspension, the um, Sean Watson suspension, to Calvin Ridley's suspension. What are your thoughts on that? The comparisons don't make sense. Um... You know, for starters, A, uh, they are very different situations. One has to deal with, uh, you know, being a just a creep around women. Uh, the other is gambling on games. Uh, back in 2021, Calvin Ridley suspended indefinitely through at least the end of this season. It's not a, a, a full-on cut-and-dry, um, you know, 17-game suspension. It is at least... Through the conclusion of this year as of right now deshaun Watson's suspension is six games but the reason why there's also no comparison is that this uh, this falls under different portions of the nfl's um, the the nfl's p- uh, conduct you know the deshaun watson situation falls under uh the personal conduct policy the term that has been used so often and that has been used so, um, well, so differently depending on the situation. Where there used to be a baseline, they don't really follow that anymore. Um, but that's where Deshaun Watson's punishment comes from. That That's under the personal conduct policy. This is under the violation of league policy when it comes to uh, – you know, with, with Calvin Ridley, we're, we're talking about gambling, and that's not under personal conduct. Personal conduct is you know, along the lines of uh, domestic violence and you know, sexual assault and, and those kinds of things. I, I, I realize that betting is also your personal conduct, but that's a very different section of the book. Uh, it's a a different kind of sanction, you know. I didn't I didn't even think of people comparing those suspensions until I saw Daniel's text uh, just a few moments ago. And Daniel, thank you for listening. And then I just wanted for giggles because I I think many people know how different they are, but just for giggles, I uh, I, I wanted to do a Google search, and I was amazed how many people were putting these suspensions in the same category. You know what they they call this, right? They call this clickbait. And for whatever reason some very very good outlets wanted to get involved in clickbait. al.com. This is uh Alabama. You want to want to read the headline here. Browns QB joins Calvin Ridley on NFL's suspended list. Um, okay, but why is that your headline? I mean, I, I, I get it. Um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a tie there to Alabama because Calvin Ridley played at Alabama. Deshaun Watson did not play at Alabama, but. You decided that that was going to be your tie in your story. Like, really? They decided to also use that. Like, it's one of the biggest headline reaches you'll find. Browns QB joins Calvin Ridley on NFL's suspended list. Calvin Ridley bet on games. Deshaun Watson was a creep. Don't put that in the same headline. And then, see... The best part about that clickbait from AL.com in Alabama is they use that story to highlight all the players with Alabama football roots who have been suspended by the National Football League. How long does that list go, you ask? (laughs) Do you want to try me? It goes all the way back to 1983. EJ Jr. played... For the St. Louis Cardinals, went to Alabama, violated the league's policy and program on substances of abuse. Four games. Charles Martin went to West Alabama, got suspended for body-slamming Jim McMahon back in 1986. Charles Martin played for the Green Bay Packers. And then, of course, I'm, I'm still scrolling. Still Calvin Ridley in 2022. Last year was John Franklin III who played at Auburn, violated COVID-19 rules. DJ Fluker's six-game suspension in 2021. Ryan Anderson, PEDs, personal conduct policy for Jaron Reed, Darius Stewart, performance enhancers. Uh, you know where I'm going. So tell me, the headline, Browns QB joins Calvin Ridley on NFL suspended list. How does that, how, how does it take me from that to a list of folks with Alabama ties getting punished by the NFL when Deshaun Watson is not a guy with Alabama ties. <laughs> oh, that is um, that is clickbait on, well, performance enhancers. You can text us at 808-296-1420. Uh, text her from the 721 this is an interesting one. this is on a uh, on a different story. Um, texter here says UH said today masks will be required for indoor classes until September 18th. Does this mean women's volleyball at the stand will require masks? You know I um, I hadn't seen that until you just sent the text and in case you're wondering, uh, this is from the University of Hawaii. They require indoor masking in classrooms, in shared laboratory spaces, and in what they call tightly confined educational spaces, such as advising offices. But they also note here, masking is highly recommended in all other indoor settings on campus. Um, So if I go on that language, that means it would not be required for masking at Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center uh, for at least the beginning of the University of Hawaii volleyball season. At least that's how I read the wording here. Um, they do say here individual. This is uh, across the university system. This is just not just at the University of Hawaii. Uh, this is also at, at West Oahu and, and, and Maui and Palamanui on, in West Hawaii and, and HCC and UH Hilo. They say uh, individual campuses may also require masking in other indoor and outdoor venues. Examples may include situation with large numbers of people in close proximity or where it is anticipated that high numbers of higher-risk persons will be attending. Masking requirements will be posted at such venues and events. And um, the University of Hawaii's athletic department has not put that out. So uh, if I take what UH says... And um, uh, if I take what UH says, campus wide, and try to read between the lines for athletics, what that sounds like to me is yes um, or no. You will not be required to wear masks at uh, at volleyball at you know through September 18th. But they do have the ability to communicate. Otherwise, if they feel that it is necessary, and knowing the University of Hawaii, if they felt like they needed to then then uh, they would but uh, but as of right now that answer is uh, no it's not going to be required sports cards and collectibles coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM texter from the 551 this is via the Zephyr insurance text line if Deshaun gets 12 games which is very reasonable if the if the long suspension falls through and whichever QB that plays against all odds pulls off a miraculous case keenum like season when he was with Minnesota and leads them to a very good record, do they instantly make Watson the starter after the suspension? Well, texted from the five five one. Let's um let's 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 put some realism here. If Deshaun Watson gets a twelve game suspension the Cleveland Browns will not have a kind of record that would indicate there would be a very good run going on in the first 12 games. Let me also go on record in saying, if Deshaun Watson wasn't suspended a single game, the Cleveland Browns would not have a record for the first 12 games that would indicate a very good start to the season. They are not a great team with or without him. As of right now, that second-string quarterback that would be in the game... uh, if Deshaun Watson's not playing 12 games, and right now it's six, is Jacoby Brissett, a.k.a. Journeyman Jacoby. If Jacoby Brissett was to even get this team to 9-3 and three in 12 games, they would make Deshaun Watson the starter. Uh, but again, it would be a minor miracle if the Browns, threw 12 games... Were nine and three. That would mean you would have had um, some fairly good wins because in that stretch, Tampa at Buffalo, uh, you got Cincinnati, was just in the Super Bowl. You got Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. You've got New England. You've got the improving Los Angeles Chargers. You've got a good Pittsburgh defense. I know those first six games are. Um, you know, they're they're like Charmin kind of soft the first six games. In fact, I wouldn't even call them Charmin soft. I would call them like, um, you know, the store brand, which is, you know, one one drop below. You know what I mean. Uh, when you're looking to spend less money, store brand. Um, that's the first six games, but that's not soft enough for them. They're not going 9-3 in the first 12. They're not going to have a great year, and honestly... The question of hypothetical will be forgotten probably three weeks in. Don't spend too much time thinking about it. Uh, great work by Keegan Ota behind the controls. Thanks to a lot of you uh, for hanging out with us today. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 3. My a uh, a uh, Dodgers-Giants over on our sister station, CBS 1500. Sports cards and collectibles here coming up next on ESPN Honolulu at 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday.